In 1 Corinthians 15, we'll continue our study on the gospel. So far in our study of the gospel, we have been reminded of the gospel. And being reminded of the gospel is a good thing because Paul said that to the Corinthians. He reminded them of the gospel. It was the gospel that was preached to them. It was received by them. It was stood upon by them. And it was saving them. Now we've made our way back to verse 3. And tonight, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider the gospel priority. The gospel priority. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word again, we ask that you will um, you will help us to prioritize some things and uh, give us the grace necessary to uh, put aside anything that may be preconceived and to consider what you've made clear. And may we be uh, may we be resolved about what you've made clear, and may we be gracious with the things that aren't as clear. And we ask for that in Jesus' name, Amen. COVID nineteen has been hard, and it's harder because it involves a lot of people. And when you have a lot of people, it's impossible to make everyone happy. I say that because some people are happy because they receive a check from the government. Other people aren't happy because the government has been incurring debt. Some people are happy because their business has remained open. Other people aren't happy because their business will never open again. It's a hard time. And it's hard because people are determining what is essential and what's not, what's necessary. And those things are matters of opinion. Now, I'm not here tonight to recite the slogan that church is essential. I try to veer away from reciting slogans. But if I did have to say something, I would say Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, much less COVID-19. So all this talk that we have of what's essential during a time like now, what it does is it helps us to consider the things that really matter most. Now, It was in the bubbling, boiling cauldron of competing priorities in Corinth years ago that the Apostle Paul asserted what he believed was essential because the church in Corinth was a divided church and they were split because they had different priorities, different things they focused on. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, this is where Paul talks about their quarrels and squabbles. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in verse 10, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. So they're quarreling. There's division. And that division is an issue throughout the book, particularly when we get to chapters 12, 13, and 14. And in that case, in those chapters, the Corinthians had made a contest of the exercise of the spiritual gifts. No, mine's, mine's better than yours, and I want to have that one. And everything was a contest. There was a, They were duking it out. 
And in the end, Paul says to them at the end of that chapter, do all things decently and in order. Now, when we think of when people are quarreling, at times it can be hard to say, well, just be decent, be orderly. And it's difficult for someone to apply that because there's a difference of priority. So the question, I guess, is what do you do when people are quarreling because they have different priorities? What do you do? Well, you have to settle what the priority is. So we turn the page from 1 Corinthians 14 to chapter 15. And what we find is that Paul says what the priority ought to be in the Christian church. For in the Corinthian church and in every church of Christ. So 1 Corinthians 15:1. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. So two points tonight. They both revolve around this truth. The gospel ought to be the priority in the church. The gospel ought to be the priority in the church. We know that because Paul declared it to be of first importance. You see that in verse 3, of first importance. And that's how most modern versions translate uh, this phrase. Now, the phrase in the original could be a temporal reference. That is to say, the gospel was the first matter that Paul shared with the Corinthian people, chronologically. It was his first topic. Well, that is probably true. Most understand the phrase to mean something different. The phrase probably highlights the gospel as the most important matter that Paul addressed. Of all the doctrines of the faith, the gospel is the priority. It is ranked highest. It's first and foremost. It's essential. It's the primary matter. It's most necessary. Now, indeed, Paul may have shared this doctrine initially with them, but he did so because of how important it was. Yet, we have to consider this point. Why did Paul bring up the idea of the, idea of the importance of the gospel? Because as we look at chapter 15, verse 3, it could read, I delivered to you what I also received. It could have been that straight and that simple. That would be close to chapter 11, verse 23. But instead, the words for the gospel... They're showcased of first importance. You say, well, why? It had to be because the church had a problem prioritizing periphery matters instead of the primary matter. One more time. It had to have been that God, that Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pinpointed the gospel as the primary matter because the church had a problem prioritizing things that weren't primary. Periphery things. Now that point right there is a, is a point that could be greatly expanded. I can go a lot of places with that point. But let me just say, the younger generation of professing Christians often thinks that the standards of the older generation have been idolized as primary in the church. And so many have said... We're leaving. They've left fundamentalism, and really they have left any flavor of historic evangelical Christianity. That's the trend. Now, 
I understand what they're saying. I understand that they're complaining about matters that they deem to be periphery matters that perhaps another generation didn't handle well. Perhaps it was a bad understanding. But in response to that situation, I usually would say this. They have left for nothing. They have left, and they're glad about that. And they're glad because they find that their act of leaving is what is prized and precious to them. The young generation thinks revolution or resistance, that's the battle cry. But when it comes to the content of the gospel which ought to unite believers, they're ignorant of it. They're all about rebelling. They're all about uh, resisting what was before them. But when it comes to the gospel... It's a term that they use without thinking. It's a label that's slapped on everything, like a price tag is slapped on goods. That's why people would say, well, we have to have gospel-centered parenting. We have to have Christ-centered dating. We have to have CrossFit workouts. But here's the sober truth. If this generation slaps gospel on everything, then we don't have gospel anything. If everything is the gospel, then the gospel really isn't anything. We live in a day when there's a lot of gospel verbiage, but there's no gospel understanding. You see, people don't prioritize what they don't understand. In general, I would find that people don't understand what the gospel is, so they don't prioritize it. And the whole gospel message is countercultural because people don't know why you would ever prioritize something that isn't from beginning to end about them. And the gospel isn't from beginning to end about them. It includes them, their sin, but the gospel is highlighting the Savior, not the sinner. So all that to go back to this point. The church can have a problem when it comes to prioritizing the wrong things. And what we have is Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, telling us what ought to be the priority in the church. And that's the gospel. Because Paul says in chapter 15, verse 3, that the gospel is of first importance. Now, second point tonight, the gospel ought to be the priority because Paul acted like it was a matter of first importance. So what I'm going to do now is to broaden our view of this topic, and I'm going to pull back to the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And let's consider together what Paul did and thought about the gospel and his proclamation of the gospel. And as we look at what Paul did and thought in relation to the gospel, we'll see that he considered it to be the priority. So let's turn in our Bibles again to chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 17. This is where Paul says that he was sent to preach the gospel. Christ, It says in verse 17, Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. So when Paul is trying to put his ministry in a nutshell, he says this, I was sent to preach the gospel. So he believed that the gospel was his primary message. And that truth needs to apply to pastors, preachers, and it needs to apply to the expectation of all the brethren because the gospel has to be preached and therefore, it needs to be heard, and it needs to be expected to be preached and expected to be heard. Secondly, not only was Paul sent to preach the gospel, turn to chapter 2, Paul determined the gospel would be his singular message in his ministry. 
Chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. So Paul decided to deal with only one subject, Jesus Christ, who was crucified. And that's kind of shorthand for what we find in verse chapter 15, 3, 4, and 5, that Christ died and rose again. So Christ was going to be his singular subject. And that's despite the fact that people wanted to hear other things. Turn back to chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1.22 Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. You see, there was an expectation from the Jews and the Gentiles. Paul didn't give in to the expectation. Instead, he chose to preach the gospel. And our ears ought to perk up when people determine to do what is contrary to expectation. Paul determined to preach the gospel even though people didn't have an appetite for it. And that means when Paul does something that people expect would be different, he's going to get bad reviews for that if he were in our day and age. But he chose to do it. And there has to be a good reason that he did that. It shows how much he had prioritized the gospel. Now, in contrast, but in connection to Paul determining to preach the gospel, we find Paul's self-condemnation if he doesn't preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16. Forward a few pages to chapter 9, verse 16. Paul says in the latter part of the verse, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That is the negative way to affirm that the gospel is the singular message of his ministry. He would consider it a failure if he doesn't preach the gospel. It would be personally disastrous if he missed that one. That shows how, how primary the gospel was in his ministry. Again, in chapter 9, look down a little bit further. Paul not only was <clears throat> sent to preach the gospel... He not only made the message of the gospel his singular focus, his singular message, he made hard choices for the sake of the gospel. Look at verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Now let's unpack that. We have to back up. What does he mean when he said, I did all these things for the sake of the gospel? Well, he forsook his rights in order to present the gospel unhindered. Look at verse 12. We have not made, we have not made use of this right, his compensation, he may, we have not made use of this right, but we endured anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So despite the expectation of living by the gospel, Paul financed his ministry through his own hard work. That is to say, Paul went above and beyond, which translates into a lot of time and sweat, so that the gospel proclamation would go forth unhindered. So he made hard decisions for the sake of the gospel. He forsook his rights. What he deserved, he gave up so that he would have an unhindered gospel ministry. Go down to verses 19 through 22. We find that Paul sacrificed greatly for the sake of the gospel. Listen to what he says here, beginning verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Now he's going to explain what he means when he says to become a servant to all in order to win them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law 
I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. So why did Paul become servant to all? Next verse, verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. That is a lot of ministry flexibility for this primary matter, the gospel. He gave up his rights. He did many, many things, all for this most important thing. We go back to chapter 4. Paul confessed that the gospel brought him into a spiritual relation with the Corinthians. He said, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's through the gospel that we are in our fellowship together. As I look at this Zoom meeting, the reason I see these faces is not because we all share a same zip code. It's because of our relation to the gospel. And that was the same for Paul and the Corinthians. Because the gospel transforms. You say, how does the gospel transform? And this is one of the primary things we know. Paul confessed that the gospel was the means of God's salvation. Finally, back to chapter 15, verse 2. The gospel by which you are being saved. You see, without the gospel, faith is futile and all of us would still be in our sin. That's how important this is. All of our faith would be futile. We would still be dealing with the problem of our sin if we don't have the gospel because it is the gospel that saves. Without this message, we would say, without this gospel, we don't even have Christianity. We can have a church building. We can have officers. We can have services. If we don't have this gospel message, we don't have Christianity. As Paul says, our preaching would be in vain. Your faith would be in vain. So the gospel needs to be the priority. It wasn't the priority in the Corinthian church. But Paul taught them that the gospel must be. It was what this quarreling Corinthian church needed to accept. Now, in our time of COVID-19, there's obviously quarreling about the things that are essential. But there really should never be quarreling about what is of first importance, especially in a church of Christ. The matter of first importance is the gospel. And that needs to be plain and clear. And by way of final application, I know I've made this application before. One of the ways that we make the gospel plain and clear is by not crowding it out. If we have a thousand other things, then what's most important is going to get lost. If we're going to have the priority of the gospel, we have to know it. But we also have to make all kinds of life decisions because of it. And as we look at what Paul did and the kind of life decisions he made, really hard ones, we can see that the gospel mattered. And then we just have to reflect on, do my decisions in life show that the gospel really matters? That it's of first priority. Father, help us as we consider this. We ask that you will give us the grace that we need to prioritize things properly in our life. 
And Father, we ask that you will help us to consider what you would have us to do on the few days uh, on earth that we have. Peter said that we are exiles, we're sojourners on the earth. And I like how Lewis illustrated it, how this life is the kind of the cover. And when we get to glory, that's the real story beginning. This is such a short time. And we pray that we would live our lives appropriately given how short these days are, how frail we are, how weak we are, especially given uh, unseen enemies like a virus. Father, help us to prioritize what you tell us to prioritize. And uh, we ask for that for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ. We, uh, we pray in his name. Amen.